Hey, welcome. This is Behind the Billions. I'm Brian Koppelman. And this is David Levine. We are the showrunners and co-creators of Billions. And uh, the first, Dave, man, off the dime, huh? The first episode of season five just aired. Yeah, this is exciting. I mean, it feels like a long time coming and we're so happy that the season's on the air now. I'll tell you, man, we, you and I took that picture at the beginning, I think like the first day of this season where we each held up five fingers. And, and I remember you looking at me and going, are we jinxing something by putting up five fingers each? Like, Hey, we made it to season five. And, and I remember thinking, well, we, what could we, what could possibly happen? We're going to shoot the season. So, and I think, and you think we brought the pandemic on? I don't want to say that I think that, but I do kind of think like it, like we never do things like that. Like we, I'd say even doing this seemed almost too much like a victory lap for us, like even doing an after show, but it does seem like people are so involved and, and, and we care so much about the show that it seemed when, when, when Bill Simmons asked us to do this for me, it seemed like too good an opportunity. You know, every, every Sunday night, you and I are on Twitter uh, during the season, answering people's questions and the way that the people who love the show get into it. Um, I guess I felt it was worth it for us to try to do a deep dive each week on the stuff that, that maybe it's, it's, it's hard to answer really quickly on Twitter. And it's the stuff that I'd want to know about if I was someone, um, you know, who was watching the show or watching it twice. And so I feel like, uh, that's why it feels fun and, and, and cool to do this. And, do you want to talk about the guest we're going to have on the show later on, Dave? Well, yeah, I mean, what a great guest to kick off a season opener and uh, a podcast opener. The great Becky Lynch, the man. Exciting, exciting performer. It is. Hey, Dave, I, 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 we, hadn't, we haven't planned that much. We have some categories that we'll, we'll get to. But I did want to ask you, um, can you like kind of, believe that you have a, we have a, a series on for the, the, the fifth season, uh, happening now. Uh, does it, does it feel strange to you? Does it still feel like it did when season one was happening? Well, I mean, it's been an unbelievable chapter, really making billions has been the most fun that I've ever had in our career. And there've been some really, really fun highlights, but the fact that this has gone on for five years and the fact that we get to work with such an incredible cast and not just great actors, but amazing people that are so much fun to spend the entire day with. Yeah. It's and, sick. I was, yeah. yeah, it's totally sick. And, you know, on one level, it feels like we just started, but in another way, I can't even remember what life was like before it. You know, time is doing some weird things now, especially with like this lockdown. And it feels like we've been away from it from a long, for a long time, but you know, it's an incredible experience to sort of just get to know these people and, you know, our entire crew. It's just really such a cool experience. Yeah. I, I often wonder if people, when they watch a show, really understand how much time we all spend together and, and not just how much time, but the intensity of that time, the, the way in which we're all so bonded, trying to, trying to deliver on making the very best show that we can possibly make. And, and you and I both talk about this all the time. When we watch these the actors, how they prepare, what they give of themselves. I, I, I do sometimes wish I, I, I would never really want a behind the scenes camera the ho whole time because we would all have to, you know, uh, I, I, I don't dress well enough, but, it, but like, yes, you don't want to do... have the pressure of comporting ourselves 
properly for a camera. No, to have to be that professional yeah. seems da daunting to me. But 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 no, what I was gonna say is um I do wish people could see how hard it is to do what the actors do and how much they have to prepare. You, you know what I mean? Like like the way Damien walks around set constantly carrying this big folio and, and uh, of uh, learning and the way Giamatti, how would you describe the thing Paul does between takes when he's sort of like acting out the whole? Well, so here's the amazing thing. And I'll come at it from my point of view for a yeah. minute, which is even if we've had a series of meetings, you know, prepping the show, unpleasant buzz, budget conversations, yes. all the, the day-to-day -day stresses of, of this enterprise running properly, we we go to set every day and we are there at a minimum for the rehearsals of the big scenes and to watch them start getting underway, getting filmed. No matter what's happening offset, when we walk onto set, we are guaranteed in the moments between the blocking rehearsal and when it shoots to be howling with laughter with our castmates for a good 20 minutes at a time. And then like you're saying, at some point, that'll break off and you will see Damien go into another room with his script binder or Paul who's done the, the, the sort of memorization part previously and we'll start acting it out. And these guys will go into character and start living it in a way. And they'll, they can come back onto set. We can laugh again for five minutes. And then when, when action is said, the way that they drop into these characters and have complete focus is just so admirable. It's, it's incredible. It really is the, the sort of purpose that they bring to it. And, you know, you said something a minute ago about being here and how tight this whole crew is. And I, you know, for people who don't know who are listening to this, who are Billions fans and maybe don't know the two of us, um, you know, we have been like brothers since we were 14 and 16. You were 14 and a half. I was 16. We met really each other's best friend. And and often in our lives and even in our professional lives, we felt like it's the two of us against everybody. And, and this is one of the only times, I mean, Ocean's 13 and Rounders are two others, but one of the only times where we didn't feel like it's us against them, where it's really just one us and it's the whole unit. And I think that that's reflected in, in the shows, in sort of the spirit of the show somehow, don't you? I do. And you know, the show has a big cast and there's a lot of different narratives being spun out in every episode. And what that can mean is that no one person gets dominant screen time. Now, in a lot of situations that could make actors get competitive and make them want to get for themselves, get more lines, more scenes, grab the moments, win the scenes. This group though, just pulls for the other person. They want everybody else to yeah. shine in their moments and their storylines. And they want everybody to come across great and to be able to do their best work. Everybody's there for the off-camera work. Nobody is trying to get out early. And, you know, it's just an amazing experience. So I don't I don't know how um how nerdy people are gonna want us to get, but I, I think in this first episode, let's get a little bit nerdy. And listen, during the week, if if you listening to this, have any comments, thoughts about this, or want to tell us online what you'd be really interested in hearing us talk about week to week. We're open to that. You can hit me up on Twitter at Brian Koppelman. David is at David Levine. He spells it in a way nobody should spell the name Levine. So it's D-A-V-I-D-L-E-V-I-E-N. Um, and uh, I'm B-R-I-N-K-O-P-P-E-L-M-A-N at uh, Twitter. And, and feel free to shout at us uh, anytime you want. But 
Dave, I thought if, if we break this out in some categories on a week-to-week basis for each episode, it might be cool. And some weeks we'll invite on someone who wrote the episode, some weeks maybe someone who directed it. So we'll mix, you know, we'll mix it up that way, maybe a guest star, maybe a crew member. But I thought an interesting place to start each week, because it's something you and I know, which is, well, first, Dave, do you want to just describe to people what a showrunner really does? Because I want to talk about the scripting and about editing. Do you want to just talk about the areas of oversight that we have and what what our job is? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, okay, a showrunner. I mean, it's a unique position, unique to television, because there may be many executive producers on a show. Some of them could be from a business capacity. Yeah. Some of them could could bring money to the table. Some of them could have controlled underlying material. But the person who's the exec producer, who's the showrunner, is sort of this roving entity that has their hands on every aspect of it. So in our case, we hire the the writers who are in the writer's room. We oversee the process of the writer's room. We direct the way that the stories and the scripts are going to be developed and come out. Um, We write most of them, many of them. We write many of the episodes. We, we hire the, the um, department heads and the important hires on the crew. We, we hired the casting director and we work closely with the casting director in the case of billions, it's the brilliant Allison Estrin. So we, we have final say in all the casting matters. Now, a lot of this is in partnership with uh, the network. Showtime in our case is incredibly generous about the birth that they give us and, and the ability to make these decisions. They are, they're, they see the show the same way as us and they support our vision. So we get to make these calls like 99% of the time we get to hire the directors, um, you know, pick, pick the locations. You really have an amazing ability to be the arbiter of the taste of the show and, and really all the ways and, you know, right down to the music, which we pick as well. And the editing the sh- and editing the show. And, and we work with these incredible editors. We're in the room with them uh, sometimes, and we're always giving notes. And so I thought because of, of all that, um, it, it might be good to start and do a feature each time, a category of script to screen, which is just if, if off the top of our heads, we can think of w- places where, and again, this is sort of nerdy, but people say you make a, a TV show or a movie three times, once in the script, once in the shooting and once in editing. And each time is an opportunity to really decide how you're going to tell the story. And for us, season openers are so important. This is a season opener. And I want to shout out Chris Colagero, by the way. Uh, Chris Colagero is a comedian on Twitter and a, a Twitter pal of ours. And he doesn't he, work on the show at all, but he just warrants a shout out. He's not on the show, except here's the thing. Colagero did a front-facing comedic take on showrunners talking about their show. And it's so haunting to me that it almost makes this entire exercise impossible. Because I was about to say, uh, a season opener is the first episode of a season. And that's what Colagero does. You got to find Colagero's showrunner commentary. It's it's a work of well, genius. And you just you just walked me into every cliche, you know, by having me run down what the showrunner does. I think well, I, that's why I, just, I had you do it instead yeah. of, at least you didn't say it's a show and it has episodes, um, which is, uh, tagline from, from Chris's thing, but, but because this is a season opener and because a season opener sets the tone 
uh, for the rest of the episodes that follow. Because it's the beginning. Because it's that's what Chris would say. Yeah, because yeah. you see, a season opener means it's the beginning. But it is, uh, it does hang, it does actually create a tonal um, resonance to the rest of the season. And originally, so script to scene will be, screen will be, how does this thing change from when we scripted it to the episode you're seeing? And I can think of a few ways, but one is from the moment we conceived of the episode, uh, well, we had these two ideas, right? Well, actually it's one of those, usually all ideas are both of ours. They are, but I won't say who one of us had the notion of the ayahuasca. The other guy had the notion of the wedding. And I think it always seemed like the ayahuasca was going to open. You know, we talked about that before the writer's room, the two of us went into the writer's room and told everybody ayahuasca and this wedding, were going to start the season. And originally it was going to start with the ayahuasca because we wanted something that originally was like kind of um, seemed very left field. But when we put the show together that way, it somehow felt one notch too far away from what the show is, right, D? Yeah, well, there's a couple things. You know, we, we'd happened to have seen Damien a couple years ago in between seasons. And, you know, we, we know him as being this clean cut version of Bobby Axelrod on screen. But when we saw him in between seasons, he'd let the beard and the hair go. And he had this wild look and we thought he looked so badass that we were like, if there's a way we got to capture this look in our show, we knew that it would have to be at the beginning before we gave him his ax look. So, you know, we thought that this great point of departure would be this, this crazy motorcycle ride across the Canada, Alaska highway in which he had let himself go wild. And, you know, that it was coinciding with this ayahuasca trip experience. Um, and we thought something would be jarring about the idea that people tune into billions and suddenly they're in the middle of the woods or in a sweat lodge. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, Brian, I think it was too jarring. So we, we come in on something that was sort of unexpected, which is senior marrying his much younger bride and everybody turned out in tuxedos and all the uncomfortable connections in the, in the Rhodes family for Chuck. So that sort of plants us in a billions adjacent world. And then we were able to go out to the Alaska thing and it had a great pop to it. Yeah, I, I agree. Somehow the, the, by switching it. And I remember watching the whole episode of Ayahuasca up front and, and, and feeling like, that says something about what the season's going to be like. That's not exactly right. And then as soon as we flipped it and it's funny, the way that the, the, you make these decisions constantly, when you're in the editing, you try different things. And sometimes you watch it and it's like, Oh, well that might be a little bit better. And sometimes you'll, we'll, we'll switch something. And one of us will watch it and text the other guy. Oh dude, that thing is sorted. And like, I remember the two of us watched that flipped and we were like, well, that's okay. Now we have that thing sorted. We know how the, the season's going to begin. Um, you know, there's, I think, there's another, really good um, script to screen kind of a moment that comes to mind for me, Tell. which is the moment between when we're with Axe looking out at that yep. vista with his beard and the long hair and everything. And, and when we pop to him walking into yes. the Vanity Fair cover shoot in full Axe mode, I mean, I honestly, I can't believe that five years in, we didn't script it that way, but there were actually like two or three scenes in between those moments as if oh, yeah. we needed to I give know. him time to get in a helicopter and a private plane and travel home. And, and somehow in the editorial process, it became clear that there was going to be so much energy in that cut, in that yeah. 
dichotomy of looks. Yeah. I remember we were sitting there with the editor, Hemi, and one of the two of us said to her, you know what, just put those things right next to each other. And then those two things, plus that's another script to screen, which was originally the music over the um, riding on those uh, motorcycles was a Van Halen song. And the Van Halen song didn't quite work and it was super expensive. And, um, and then you said like, hey, let's try Bad Company over it. And then, so then Bad Company, the song Bad Company, which we'd always wanted to use is then over the, the motorcycles. And then I said, let's also put it over that moment. So it's the transition. And suddenly it's a weird thing about the music in our show, but, but nailing those songs in our show makes a tremendous difference. And suddenly that song made that motorcycle trip look amazing. And then that song into that photo shoot just elevated it. And I walk around, I'll, I'll say this, um, we're talking about this all now pretty glibly or easily, but I'll walk around in a funk for a week when we don't have a song that makes a moment work or, or when a moment like Axe Walking In is laying flat and you're like, fuck it, the script stage, it, it seemed like it worked. When we're, when we're on set, it seemed like it worked. Why isn't it working? And because of what you said about us having either the creative impetus for everything or the oversight, it's all our fucking fault if it doesn't work. You know, everybody does their job so well that when anything doesn't, I don't know, maybe you don't, don't you feel that way when it doesn't work? It's just purely because we fucked up. No, it, it, it's, it's complete ownership. So if uh, you want to feel good about it working out okay, and if you want, you know, to be excited when the audience likes it, you got to own it when it's not working, because if you want to take any credit, you, all the blame is ours when it's not working out right. And sometimes and I think when he was walking into that Vanity Fair cover shoot, there was, um, there was score playing and, you know, Eskimo who writes all the music for great. billions is a genius. And he's he made a, a thousand, he's made a thousand moments work. He's made a million moments work better than they would have without him. And yes. he's made moments that don't work, work because of his music alone. And yet in this moment, it wasn't quite everything it should be. And, and then we realized, you know, it had to be the song in both places. Yeah. And then suddenly the thing um, comes Came to alive. life and, yep. and it's really, those are the moments you, you do live for. I mean, I can spend really over weeks just feeling miserable and, and like uh, totally like a failure and like um, I'm letting myself and you and everybody else down. And then because I can't solve something. And then the moment it's solved, you're just like, holy fuck, you just feel this incredible sense of relief until 30 hours later when the next disaster hits and you feel like a total <laughs> talentless hack again. It's just over and over. I mean, you're laughing because you know that it's how you feel. I'm I'm laughing that you said you, you have 30 hours of feeling all elevated and uplifted after the solution. I think it's more like 15 minutes. Fuck. God and then the it. next problem comes looming in that we can't quite sort out. Yeah. I don't know. When you solve those editing problems, though, it does feel it does feel good. Yeah, you're, you're right. It does. It, 30 hours a, is an exaggeration. It's a similar feeling to the writing process. You know, when a script's not going properly and one of us figures it out or we get together and both figure it out, you feel like the clouds part and you feel great. And then again, you know that it it probably got shot right and it certainly got performed right by the actors. So if something's not working, it's just the mechanical part of putting it together in the right way. And, and it's very gloomy until that gets figured out. And then it feels amazing. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree with that. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else script to screeny in this episode. I will say one thing uh, while we're here, 
the first of these script to scene things is it seems so clear if you know the series billions and you've watched the whole thing the first scene is indelible and and it really is so obvious that we always knew we'd start with Chuck Rose on the floor getting burned and peed on in fact that is not what the first scene of the episode was as written it was acts in that house in the hamptons and and giamatti was the second scene though that was one so that's another one of those uh you know times where in the editing room now i'll say on the day we were standing there when paul was on the ground and neil Berger framed that shot i knew that would be the opening shot of the show mm -hmm. but it still took us a month in the editing room before we officially made that switch well i think in that case you know it's pretty audacious to put your lead actor on the floor tied up and getting yes. burned by cigarettes and urinated on by somebody who at that time you don't know is his wife. Yes. And I think we were finding our way towards the tone of the show there. And we were like, well, is this show about a hedge fund guy or is this show about weird stuff? And in the end, we landed where we landed. It's both, but you know, the weirdness factor is yes, the as strangeness, important as anything else. Yeah. The strangeness can lead, um, especially when it's strangeness that comes out of out of characters. Is there anything you want to talk about? So another category is like the story within the story where how we, what real life stuff, not, not, not that we base anything on specific people, but what's the stuff in the world that you think we put in our pipe as we were deciding? Like one thing is the Neil Pert book. Um, we had both read Neil Pert's Ghost Rider, which talks about this journey he took on a motorcycle for, on the Alaska-Canada uh, highway. And we both, uh, upon reading that, we both thought, okay, well, we want to do this ayahuasca thing and that's a good spot for it. Um, anything else like that that you can think of? Maybe this episode doesn't have as much of it as some others do. Well, I mean, I love that you mentioned the Neil Peart thing, that he took he took this very solemn ride in the wake of personal tragedy. And, you know, we put our characters in there, the, the ever buoyant wags and acts, you know, even though it's not tragedy, we we do sort of, set him in a place of dissatisfaction right in the beginning and something about it just felt right out there in the middle of nowhere. Oh, and don't we put them on Neil Peart's motorcycle too? Um, yeah, I think it is the same kind, like these BMW, like transcontinental. I mean, those are super, super bikes. So and that's I think our that little, is what he talks about. That's our nod to the great our, Neil Peart. And, and, and Mr. Peart died during the making of the season. So when we did that, he hadn't passed away yet. And, um, I'll say, uh, I'm really glad that we have something that nods to, to Neil Peart. His, his, his lyrics really meant a lot to us, our childhood. And I mean, I still listen to Rush. There's still not a week goes by that I don't listen to Rush. So I'm glad that we got to at least um, reference him. And, you know, you probably remember, Brian, that dinner we went to early in the writer's room for this season with um, a well-known figure in finance who told us about an ayahuasca experience and yes, and finding his inner spirit animal, which was a, a panther, you know, in the way that Damien is crawling around in the sweat lodge. And that was definitely an inspiration to what guys in a certain strata of, of financial, you know, extremely wealthy billionaires can still go out and do something that's also associated with young people searching or going to a festival or something like that. We love the idea that somebody wouldn't be formal and stuffy, that they could pursue their passions. And then of course, because it's acts, there's a wraparound business component to it. 
Yes, and I and 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 this isn't really exactly real life, but this segues into writing the episode, talking about um, one of the people in the writers' room this year was Ben Mesrick, who's an expert on cryptocurrency, and um, amongst other things, he's he's quite the expert on so many things, isn't well, he? Well, he is. He's written so many bestseller selling books, and he spent ten weeks with us and was able to talk to us a lot about how crypto farms work and. Um, helped guide us toward that moment in the, in the show as a little mini kind of a, a, a leverage point. So that came from some research that Ben had done and then sharing that. And that's the thing, you know, we'll, an episode like this with our names on it, we wrote the whole episode, the two of us, but there is a writer's room uh, of people and um, who are contributing even to episodes that their names aren't on, much the same as we will contribute you know, they, they won't write on them. When we contribute to other episodes, we're usually writing a bunch of the dialogue, but their, their voices are always in all these episodes along with us. And we'll shout their names out over the course of this season as we talk about the episodes that they wrote. Everyone in the writer's room got to write an episode or work on writing an episode um, this season. D, in our remaining few minutes before we bring out the great uh, Becky Lynch, our special guest, do you want to talk about uh, anything you can remember about shooting the episode and about our director, Matt McCluda, how we came to know Matt? Well, Matt McCluda did a great job on the episode. And this is somebody who we really wanted to do a great job because going all the way back to the beginning of the show, Matt came on board as one of our first ADs, first assistant director. An assistant director is a crucial role in the crew. He is the person, or he or she. He or she, because we have a, one, yes. one man and one woman who are our assistant directors. Yeah. Are he or first. she is the person who is the conduit between the director and the entire crew. This is a person I actually, you know, I can't even do a thorough enough job explaining all the tasks that fall to the assistant director. Yeah, no way. But they they steer, they make sure that the unit's where it needs to be. They schedule the episode. They um, make sure that the cast is organized and ready to go. They give direction to the background performers. They make sure that whatever the director's vision is, is getting carried out physically. And Matt started with us on Billions in that role. And you have two of them on an episodic show because one has to prep while the other one is on set. And it's a grueling job. The hours are unbelievably long. And Matt always did it with incredible enthusiasm, thoroughness, total passion to make the show great. You never felt like he was just trying to phone it in and go home. And He's been doing this for many years on various shows. And at some point he came to us and expressed an interest in directing an episode. And we felt that he could do it. And we felt that we wanted to support him as sort of a, a, a payback for all the effort he'd given us. And so it, it was last season, wasn't it? it was, yeah, he directed two episodes last season. Yeah, he, he, he came to play last season and you know, he made an incredible transition. His episodes, he knew the show so well from being with it for so long. There were there was no tonal problem at all. And the guy had really done his homework during all the times he'd been on set and he just crushed it. So we kept going with him. Yeah, I feel really good about being able to bring someone and and it's not the only person. Um, Naomi Garrity directed an episode last year. She was an editor on the show for, um, uh, since the beginning, she edited the pilot. And she's slated to direct one of the episodes 
in the back half of this season when we uh, post COVID get to do it, if it all works out timing wise. And I, I too, too love that we're able to um, bring people along and give them opportunities like this when they've really, when they've really um, earned these opportunities. Uh, just a couple, and normally each week of this, this is the first week, so it's a little looser, but we'll do things like we'll pick out a cruise superstar. We will talk about the references in the episode and what enthusiasms uh, of ours they reveal. Um, I just do want to hit a, a little few guest cast members in, in, in this episode because, Dave, you and I love character actors. We, from the beginning of this show, we've collected them and and really for our whole career, actually. We had the great Lenny Venito, even in Rounders, um, who's been in Billions and in our movie Solitary Man. Uh, and so the compliment Levine drinking game rounders just came up. I said it so you can have a drink, uh, at home, make it a double, uh, because it might still come up again. But, um, you want to talk about the great Saul Rubinek and how, what it feels like to be walking into a scene at a wedding and have that hitters row of Ben Shankman, Saul, these great guest actors. Yeah. We, when we were coming up with the wedding, we realized that we wanted to bring out Chuck's sort of, uh, emotional issues with it. And we got this idea that he would somehow have a table of these New York players, sort of friends of his, but he was sitting with them and they, some of them tangentially knew seniors. So that was sort of like the reason why they were at the wedding. And so, you know, we have his best friend, Ira, played by the great Ben Shankman. And then we have uh, Hap Halloran, who oddly has come to the wedding, played by the amazing Saul Rubinek. Somebody we've wanted to work with for, I'd say, decades. I mean, before we were even in the business. Yeah. Going back to Unforgiven, um, when he played that he's incredible the, he's, scribe. He's Mr. Duchamp. Yeah. In the Unforgiven, who, and, who is. Uh, you know, that, that Hollywood producer he played in True Romance was unforgettable. And, and those guys had to shoot the scene at the wedding at 3 a.m. It was literally three in the morning when they were shooting that scene. And they're all still at the top of their games, total professionals. Uh, so, Dave, we're hitting our time limit because we are going to bring out uh, the greatest in the world, uh, the man, Becky Lynch, to talk about what it was like to be in the show. I, I, I just want to say that um, I'm really excited to get to do this uh, week to week. And uh, I, I hope that people... Um, Give us some feedback on it. Uh, tweet at us. Tell your friends to subscribe to this podcast, and we will keep giving you the inside dirt on the show. And, and Dave, before this is over, we might have to have Calagero come on and just do two or three minutes of the showrunner character. Let's do it. Let's let's commit to that. Let's yeah. let's let everybody get a good taste of this, so they know just how badly we're going to get skewered. And then the let him come on. on. Yes. Yeah, I think that I'll just interview him as a showrunner. We will. We'll interview him. And then we'll see how that goes. All right, uh, here's Becky Lynch, and um, uh, let's bring her on. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then... Click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then... 
There's 1.5 times, two times. And if you're completely insane, three times. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature that's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you, but the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Back to yours. All right. So now this is an exciting moment for us. Uh, we are bringing out the man, the great Becky Lynch, who you just saw kick all sorts of ass, uh, not just physically, but verbally on Billions. Becky, welcome to Behind the Billions. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, what a great, what a great pleasure to have you on the show. I here, here's what we want to start with. I think can can you just tell us about the day, that day from your perspective? Like, what were you feeling leading up to it? Where were you coming from? Where were you? Because I remember there was a lot going on in your life, but but also, can you walk us through just what the whole thing was like from your perspective? So that it, we filmed in the middle of November and I don't think I'd been home for nearly a month. I'd been touring and um, we were trying to arrange the date as well. Cause I was at one stage, I was going to come from uh, Germany to do it, but then the, apparently the show in Germany was really important and there was no way I could get off it. So uh, it ended up that, that we were able to find a window to do it the day after the tour and, and the last stop in the tour was Boston. So I had come from all over Europe from doing media from, I, I can't even remember at this stage, but sometimes cities are like a blur. And so I'd driven, um, driven from Boston to New York. Um, oh yeah. Like in, in the car. middle of the night, right? Like you drove in, in the, the middle, middle of the night. Yeah. Because we filmed, we finished filming raw at like, 11 so I think it was midnight by the time I got out and uh, I think I was up the next morning at six but so and especially having come from a tour like that which was just that going across all these different countries being exhausted I was so energized and so excited to come on set and then um and then walking through the the different there's the 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 warehouse in in uh where is that that's right it's right by the water and you're it's right in, yeah by the water. it's in greenpoint brooklyn in, right i wasn't sure if it was brooklyn or if it was just on the other side and it's just beautiful and the sun's coming up and you're walking through this set um seeing everything and seeing how it's done seeing how oh wait it's bright outside or or it looks yeah the, the 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 difference between outside and how it looks in the studio and how that totally. was done that blew my mind. I was like, oh, I just would have always figured that they did this in the daytime. And I'm not sure if I'm making sense for people who haven't been on set and know the production well, value of it. I book. can explain that part, and then we'll go back. So yeah. Like, because we shoot Axe Capital on a set, we have control over what it looks like out the windows. And so it happens to me all the time. Like, it might be eight in the morning on set, and then outside it's it's nine at night. And you start to, your sense of time and space start to bend in a little bit of a way, right? Um, it's so, like yeah, Vegas casinos. Yeah, very much so. You're just in this, except we don't pump, uh, yeah. we don't pump, pump like a combination of uh, oxygen and Viagra in the air. Like they... <laughs> 
<laughs> we should though. Why don't we start doing that? <laughs> Production yeah. values go well. It's true. <laughs> we, we probably should. But uh, yeah, so so you come in, you see sort of like Axe Capital, which you had just been binging the show, so it seems larger than life to you. And are you nervous at all? Yes. Um, yes, but I will say everybody is so nice and introduces you like a family and just makes you feel secure and confident. Um, and of course you, you guys are the people that set that atmosphere. So it's incredible. Um, so yes, I was nervous, very nervous, especially cause it seemed to happen quick, you know, cause you know, I've been on sets where it's, you know, uh, hurry up and wait, but you guys get down and you start working. Um, so I didn't expect it. I was almost like, Oh, I'm sure I'll have a few minutes to to dawdle and eat some breakfast. But it, it was like, no, let's get to work. And which is much better because the less time I had to think about it and get nervous, the 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 better it was for me. That's good. I remember something about that day. We'd had lengthy plans laid out with the director of the episode, Matt McLuda, to to set it up and rehearse the entire thing, but to shoot the scene first and to save the stunt until the end. And then, well, he must have been nervous because the minute he saw you, he was immediately like, let's do the stunt. Let's get into the stunt right away. And we were like, okay, Matt's excited right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, I think we were planning. I think we all were really, we do always move quickly, but I think we were also planning on how do we get back? You know, we all had such respect for your time. And we were like, how do we just get her to be able to do this work? And it was, a, you know, from our side, Dave and I had a lot of confidence you'd be able to deliver because we've seen you deliver on the mic, on the stick so many times before. But acting's different, a bit different, isn't it? It's a different oh, muscle yeah. slightly, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, because, I mean, th this was different because, I mean, I suppose I was giving a speech to, to, to um, tens of people. Um, but with wrestling, everything has to be so big because you are performing in front of, you know, 10,000 people and you've got to reach them and sometimes a hundred thousand people. Um, so, so, so containing everything and making it smaller, um, is, uh, that's a trick. How did you prepare? What did you do to get yourself ready for it? Um, so, so a lot of it is the fact that I, I'm, I'm me, right? Like, so I, I am the man I am, uh, I am Becky Lynch. So I, I think the fact that I had just been on tour and being in that zone for so long really helped. But then of course, um, uh, trying to think of the, of the situation and picturing that and visualizing that and visualizing, uh, all the different parts of where this is going to happen, what the office is going to look like, who's going, who am I going to, to look at? Who's going to be in front of me? Where have I come before that? All those little acting exercises that you do. Well, you know, when, when somebody comes on to do a cameo, they have like usually a couple of lines that we give them because we don't want to sort of like overstress the process with somebody who's not a trained professional actor. But, you know, we just had this feeling from the beginning that you could come in and you ended up with like a page and a half of dialogue, like a major monologue. And a lot of people were like, you know, is this going to work out? Can she do it? And we were like, the man can pull it off. Let's, <laughs> let's see how it goes on the day. And when you started to perform your your long speech, I mean, you won everybody over, the, the cast, the crew. I mean, all the actors are coming up to us going, I can't believe how good she is. She's so locked in every take. 
the hardest thing is to keep the genuine feeling take after take. And you managed to do that. It, it was just incredible to watch. And everybody was so impressed by that. Thank you so much. I will also say that looking at everybody and they were all responding to me so well as if I'd given it the first time, even though, you know, they'd heard it so many times. And I just, the, the generosity, because even if the camera wasn't on them, that they were, that they were so willing to, to do that for me, I thought was so um, kind of them. Oh yeah, I meant to ask you about that. That's a how the, Yeah, I totally wanted to ask you how is this either similar or different from the way you work with your coworkers and what you do day in and day out because I was thinking that the way you and Maggie related or you and then everybody else, you know, Dan Soder, how much of that give and take are you used to because you guys are always putting yourselves in each other's, right? I mean, you have to totally trust the people you work with day to day, don't you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you don't, it, it, you know, it can end up bad and, and not, not necessarily in a dangerous way, but just in a clunky way. You know right. what I mean? Like yes. if, if somebody is just out for themselves and doesn't want to play ball, then you end up with this weird tension of just, and it just doesn't gel and doesn't mesh. And there's an awkwardness and it's the same. It's the same with acting. If, if there's it not is. that give and take, then, then what are you doing? Yeah. When someone's just working in acting, it's true. Like in the, when uh, in wrestling terms, I understand it, what, what it is. If someone's just looking to protect themselves, make themselves look good, aren't going to put you over. But here it did feel like everybody's trying to put you over. I mean, I hope that, that you got that sense that the whole oh, crew, 100- was trying to put you over and then you delivered because that's the other part of it. If someone's putting you over, you have to fucking deliver, right? Oh, 100%. They were, but just looking at their faces and just so how attentive they were. Like, and you know, like I could imagine standing there listening to somebody say the same thing over and over again. At some point you might slump, but just the enthusiasm in their faces really was like, oh, look at me go. I'm doing great. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's excellent. Do, when, how different is it from when you, if you're, if you know, um, you're doing a big WrestleMania promo live, you know, not, not to tape, but live on a night of raw or, uh, some other pay-per-view event, how much prep, how do you compare sort of the prep? Do you have to memorize that? Or are you able to sort of go off of talking points? Like how, how similar and how different are those things? So it's kind of like, so you make your points. You don't need to know everything line by line, word by word, because um, if if I don't say everything word for word, I mean, look, there's some lines that if I come back and I say or I don't say, I might get nearful. Right. But um, sometimes those are the chances that you take, but you don't have somebody going, cut, cut, cut. No, no, no. You know, <laughs> let's do this again because it's live, right? So but also you don't have the luxury of having a script in advance. So where this is going, what is the end thought or where, where is this arc going? Where does this character arc go? You, you have a vision and you hope you know, and you hope that you hear the right things and that you can, you can bring the audience on that journey. But sometimes, sometimes you're kind of playing in the dark. And so that's that's a lot different. You're, you're sometimes just hoping that your points and your message are strong enough in this individual um, isolated moment that it, it carries on and maybe make something more going forward. Well, so you really have to be super in character to do that too. Like you have to really be in the character. 
Yes, which is uh, most of us live in that in this character. Uh, for a lot of us, it's, it's an extension of ourselves, of course, and who we are. And then, of course, it, it's those things where you're you're on the road so much, you're driving from town to town, thinking about things and thinking about lines and thinking about moments, you know. Yeah, that makes total sense. And uh, I guess I thought that maybe the stuff like a WrestleMania promo would be done more in advance. It's, so it's still done the way they used to do it, where you might have five minutes with Vince before you go out, figure it out, and then go? Uh, yes. Yep. Yep. Well, so, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> it, is. it is. I mean, you, you'd you hope you'd get like an hour or, or two, if, if possible. But um, yeah, sometimes it can be... Sometimes things can be changing as you're going out the curtain. So here you had days, you had, we gave you the script weeks in advance. So you could really yes, exactly. come in prepped. Yes. And, and then, Which is not a luxury I'm used to. Were you surprised at how game Maggie was to do this, to do the fight with you? Oh man, she, she's awesome. What a, what a badass of a lady. Like I got to talk to her and like ask her about her life and everything. She's a, she's a powerhouse, but yeah, she was, she was all in on, on doing it and just wanting to be safe and everything like that. And it was like, nah, just, just hit me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yes. You did tell yeah. her to go ahead and feel free to hit you. Yeah. I remember yeah, on the yeah. day that there was a lot of concern, you know, from the, from the stunt department and everybody like, you know, we have stunt doubles. Do we have to put mats down? We're so worried. Is Becky going to get hurt? Does she need a pad on her stomach when Maggie's going to hit her? They spent hours teaching Maggie how to pull her punches. And, and we were like, well, it's probably going to be okay. And immediately you were like, oh, should I just throw myself through the computers like this and just dove across the deck? <laughs> well, everybody that, at ease. Oh, that, okay. So this is one of those great inside things. So if you watched the show tonight, which you should have before you watched it last night, whenever you're listening to this, folks, You'll notice that after Becky comes rolling off of the table, uh, computer stuff comes crashing down. And that took a long time to, to set up, right? And then finally, Becky just, I guess at first, you, you were trying to just respect everybody's process. But at a certain point, I remember you just saying, if you need me to make sure to kick it over, I can. <laughs> and then as you were, right? Do you remember this? As you were rolling over, you kind of made, found a way to do it. And I remember turning to everyone and going like, this is a top professional stunt person. <laughs> this is somebody, tell her what you need her to do, right? Is that kind of what happened? Well, yeah, it's also just because I didn't want to break any of your things, you know? <laughs> didn't want to come in and wreck the place, you know? So um, yeah, it was just a, a matter of if, if, I, if I know the points that I have to hit, then I'll figure out a a way to, to kick something or maneuver. Yeah, it was, I thought that was just totally, I mean, that, I thought that was totally brilliant. One of the things I loved about how this appearance came together was um, Brian and I and some of the cast were at this like exotic car club doing an appearance like a year and a half ago or something. And Brian happened to be wearing a, a t-shirt with the man's face on it. And I think one of the moderators or somebody in the audience asked a question like, oh, you know, is that the man? Are you a wrestling fan or something? And Brian said, yeah, of course. And then the person was like, well, would you ever have her on the show? And Brian was like, anytime she wants to come on the show, there's an open invitation. And a couple of weeks went by and then it came up on Twitter. And I was like, this is a real invitation. And yeah. immediately we put it together. And I think you guys podcast in between and kept it a secret that we were planning for the show to happen. Yeah, well, so um, but it's one of those things where, you know, oftentimes you get you get offers, and uh, and you don't know if they're going to come 
come through or not, you know? Um, one of the things I remember my old wrestling coach uh, used to say was, if somebody tells you it's raining, go outside and check. <laughs> and it's one of those things, it's like of just being real skeptical, you know, until, until the day. And it's still the same with wrestling, you know? Like, until the day, until you know that you're the main event of WrestleMania. But when, when I was going out on the day, I was like, something could still change. I'm not going to know that I'm the main event of WrestleMania until I walk out there and there's no other matches that can be done. So it's kind of one of those things where you keep that, um, you're always just a little bit, oh, will this happen? But you guys came through. You were, you were Yeah, I saw words. you say that somewhere where you were like, that you weren't sure if we meant it. But then I think once you and I actually spent the afternoon together, podcasting then you knew we were gonna do you knew we weren't lying then i, I was real hopeful yeah yeah that yeah, yeah. no was, I, I was like it'll come true it'll come true yeah then it was just a question of the scheduling and then uh how did you feel about the fact you know the text of the speech uh you're one of the few people who usually really keeps kayfabe pretty hard uh, but uh we in the speech you, we did talk about the idea of doing the job did, did that give you any pause or were you just like fuck it i'll, I'll roll with it because we're in this other area I, w I was a little bit like, oh, oh, can I do this? And then I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. It's billions. It's awesome. Ah. Let me go. That's well, great. Uh, Dave, I think that's a perfect place to end with. Fuck it. It's billions. And I think we might have to title this podcast from now on. <laughs> fuck it. It's billions. <gasps> Becky Lynch. I love it. Listen, Becky Lynch is the great, you are the man, you're the fucking man. And um, you brought, brought us great joy being in our first episode of season five. Thanks so much for doing it. And uh, the open invitation to come by set anytime you're in New York uh, remains. Lastly, I told you on the day, you better still be champ when the episode airs. So nice job not losing. <laughs> nice job. Still the champ. Still the man the champ. is still the champ. All right. Thanks, Becky. Great Talk seeing you, you Becky. Thank you. See you guys. All right, well, Dave, that was freaking awesome. It's fucking billions, as Becky Lynch said, huh? It's fucking billions, and it's always amazing being in the orbit of Becky Lynch. I mean, she is like a supernova of energy. I love it. I wish I wish that I could get like a, a hit of that every day. Yeah, well, I, I will say that I did turn to her on set, and I said, it's really important that you'll still be the champ. I really did when the thing airs, because we refer to you as the champ, and she goes, oh, oh, I'll be the champ. Don't you worry about it. She turned into Liam Neeson. It was odd, but <laughs> she did. Hey, everybody, we will, uh, we'll be here next week, next Sunday night. You can find either of us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Koppelman. He's at David Levine. And um, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching the show. I mean, there's no way the show would be on for five seasons if we didn't have loyal uh, Billions fans watching every week and telling their friends. So thanks for that. Uh, this has been a, a, a super pleasure. Levine, I love you, buddy. And I'll see you uh, next week. See you soon, man. Mm -hmm.